because we took a little extra time. So you just come up here and do your thing. Let's receive Dennis Rainier in the house this morning. Woo! Bring it. Get your water down there. I'll take this one. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Good to be with you this morning. Amen. I've been having an awesome time all week. I was with a whole bunch of mighty generals of God this week. Um, I was with Cindy Jacobs last night, and so that was a powerful time. And Bill Johnson on on Thursday night, and and um, Mark Sharona. I don't know, just lots of awesome men and women. I got too many to even remember almost, but that's hard to hard to believe, huh? Awesome. Praise God. Everywhere, everywhere I've been going, um, and for those of you who don't know who I am, first of all, I'm, I'm Dennis Rainier. I live in Montana, so I live in the Rocky Mountains. I have four daughters, and usually I ask everybody to pray for me um, wherever I go because I'm the only man in the house. Amen. And so I need lots of prayers, and, and, and actually I'm spoiled rotten, um, and, and I love it, and, and God's good. But um, um, let me give away a couple things, and then I'll, I'll kind of get into what I was doing. I have, a, I have one called Living in Revelation, a CD, a resource in the back. Um, this is really about the government of Antichrist versus the government of God. And the government of Antichrist that is built on um, information that is void of revelation. And the government of God is, is, is the revelation of God, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? And so, anyways, that's about how, to, how you get to experience the promises of God right here in your life and what he has said, um, rather than just um, watching everybody else experience it. Anybody interested in this one? All right. Oh, wow, this guy right here. Huh? All right. I didn't have to throw that very far. Oh. Uh, I think a few years ago I did one. Um, this is one of the uh, staple uh, teaching that I do in terms of impartation. And impartation is really about activating your inheritance. And I do a lot of teaching. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to write another book right now in terms of impartation because of the power of it. You know, it's the history, um, not only in the New Covenant, but even in the Old, that we were blessing our children. Amen. We lost something in terms of this generation where we became a generation that was about ourselves rather than being about other people and about blessing um, those that we're raising up. And so this is about activating your inheritance. And, you know, the word impartation, it doesn't mean what some people actually teach that it means. Like it's somehow it's a transfer of anointing. You know, Jesus actually says there's one anointed one. The Bible says that. And the anointing, when we talk about the anointing, we're really talking about the manifestation of Jesus. Amen. And so some people, we see more manifestation because some people have more intimacy and they have more revelation that begins to release more manifestation. But the word impartation actually means in divide. It means Jesus took what was inside of himself and he divided it and he put it inside of all of us. But sometimes we're walking in a place of dormant or, or we're not walking in a place where things are alive or awake. And so sometimes God himself can cause that stuff to come alive by you having experience. With but sometimes he uses other people in your lives as well. And that causes you now to be able to experience the manifestation of his presence. Amen. So impartation, impartation actually causes revelation. And revelation causes activation, and activation causes manifestation. Amen. How many want manifestation? Huh? Hallelujah. So, anybody interested in this one right here? All, all right. I'm going to give it to. All right. Right there. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, ouch. Um, I have a, a book called Shaking Heaven and Earth. Um, it is about activating the supernatural inside of you. It is about hearing the voice of God. It is not going to teach you a formula, step-by-step process to do that. One, because I don't believe in that. I believe that God actually gives those kinds of models for us from to learn from them, but you cannot rely on the formula absent of God actually speaking to you for yourself. Amen. And so that's what this book is, um, you know, basically about anybody interested in this one here. All right. Um, I'm going to give it to this man in the back. I give two men books today. That's unusual, huh? Some hungry men in here, huh? That's praise God. That says something good, huh, John? Pastor John, we got some men that are in the army of God. Amen. So, amen. Just lift your hands with me all over the this 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 room lord god we thank you lord jesus for your spirit that is already here lord god um, for the awesome time that we've had this morning in your presence, Lord God, what it is that you're wanting to do to stir us, Lord God, to this next thing that you are doing, Lord. And so we're asking, Lord God, for your spirit to open up our eyes to see 
and for your spirit to open up our ears to hear, Lord God. Lord God, speak things, Lord God, that I would not say in Jesus' name. We all said amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, um, everywhere I go right now, there's, there's a hunger that is um, welling up in the body of Christ right now. Um, it's different than it was before. Do you know, like, like we are in a major time of something that's shifted. Um, you know, there's revival that is, is broken out even in this area. There, there's revival that's broken out in Seattle area. There's revival that's broken out in Kelowna. There's revival that's broken out in, in Canada and in Australia. And there's, there's two revivals that are broken out in West Virginia right now. Um, they say that the revival in West Virginia, which I think is the purest of all of them in terms of a true move of God, it, it, it is, um, it is the most significant move of God that the state of West Virginia Virginia has ever experienced in the history of being a state. Amen. There, I'm telling you, there's just stuff that's going on. It's not just in other places anymore. It's a now time. Something has shifted. We're not just we're not just praying to move into something. It is it's already happening. We're already in the move. Amen. That doesn't mean that we're seeing the full manifestation of all God has attended, but it does mean that something's going on. And, and, and this is a, this is a, this is really an epic season. Amen. And the thing about epic, epic seasons is that, is that we oftentimes, we, we don't, we don't see them coming. Amen. A lot of times we, we, we see them afterwards. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen beforehand, um, but, but we know that God is pointing towards something that's a new season. Amen. And this is a time really to be hearing the voice of God for yourself. Amen. It's a time for you to hear your own word and to be, and to be stewarding that word. You know, the Bible talks about the, the, um, about making the most of every opportunity and, and, and in making the most of every opportunity, the word actually is, is Kairos there and it's talking about a strategic um, um, point where God speaks to you and you know where m- many of us have missed some of what God has done we get the we have these kairos moments and we have these these words of God that come to us but we don't we don't steward we don't steward those kairos moments and there's this that God's calling us to take what we have heard in those kairos and those strategic kind of moments that God has pulled us aside and begin to or to reroute us and to redirect us and to begin to speak to us now we have to walk that out and we have to steward that amen and for those who do that there's an actually there's a third there's a third greek word you know in the bible kairos is for the strategic time and chronos is for the chronological time meaning that that's where we live out our daily lives right it's the it's the place where we're we're walking this whole thing out but there's a third word that actually if you were to look up uh, on, on Google or, or um, you know, Webster or whatever, what's the other dictionary, Wikipedia or what, I don't know which whatever one you think is credible, but um, um, the, it's called eon. And, and, and the word eon actually means um, ages. And so, like, for those that would steward um, the, those kairos times and those those intimate times with God, and, and steward that in their in their in their chronology in terms of walking out their life, um, are about ready to move into another age. They're about ready to move into a, a whole other age of experiencing and releasing uh, um, something that's new in this time. Amen. Uh, um, last night, actually, um, Cindy Jacobs has, uh, the last couple of days, she started to prophesy that we we have moved into now um, what is considered to be the fourth wave. See, years ago, she prophesied that we moved into a third wave. There's a first wave, there was a second wave, and then there was a third wave in terms of revival and a move, and we've now moved into this fourth wave. And the fourth wave, you know, the first wave was a wave of fire, and the second wave was a, was a wave of giftings, and the third wave was a wave uh, of, of, um, not, not the giftings, but the theology of the things. And now, in, in this next wave, there's a wave that's coming that isn't just like, it's not just one of them, but it builds on all of them, and it's converging, and it's all of them coming into a place of synergy and convergence as one inside of us to be able to release what it is that God has for this age. It's bigger and better than anything that we have experienced before. Um, it was in 1983 that many of you probably know that Bob Jones... 
he prophesied, he prophesied that there would be a billion people harvest. Amen. Like we're, we're living in a time of harvest right now. Do you know that? Like people are getting saved everywhere now, right now. People are actually more open, even on, in streets and different places to the gospel more than they have, even though there's more opposition to the gospel, there's also more openness to the gospel. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll find that. And you, you know, the point is not to necessarily try to harvest where God's not doing something, but to harvest where he is doing something. Amen. Some of us get frustrated because we, we continue to try to harvest in an area that maybe God isn't doing something, and yet he is doing something somewhere else. And what it does is it causes us sometimes to say we can't steward the kairos because we think, oh my gosh, God spoke this, but it seems like it's not for this time because it's not really happening because we're not stewarding it and we're not seeing what it is that's going on around us in a place. There are places when we begin to speak in the lives, it begins to cause fruit and it begins to cause change. Amen? Does that make some sense to you? So, so... So now, now we are moving into this, this, this area now where we're seeing harvest. We're seeing harvest in the United States, you know. Um, we're seeing harvest over, overseas. There are more people, like, that are, that are, that, that are being saved in this time frame. Like right now on the planet, there are more people that know Jesus Christ than all of Christian history put together. That also, but also at the same time, there are more people on the planet right now that do not know Jesus Christ than all of Christian history or all of our history put together um, that are, would actually be in a place that we would know as hell. That means right now, this is the most strategic opportunity. This is the most strategic army that there has ever been on the planet to be able to do something for God, and there's also the most opportunity to reach people for Christ that there's ever been. Amen? And so this is, this is an exciting time to be alive. Amen? In China right now, they say there's over 160 million Christians now. And they're radical, on-fire Christians for the Lord. Teenage girls that are willing to die for the gospel, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Indonesia now, they say over 40 million people are, um, are, are actually born-again Christians in the country now. It was the largest Muslim nation. And now they have the largest Christian population within the Muslim nation. Guys, we're seeing more people raised from the dead in the last decade than we've seen in all of church history together. Amen. God's radically speeding things up and doing things. And this isn't a season where it's about just the generals. This is a season where it's about each and every single one of the saints. You know, people have been talking about this, this reformation in terms of the restoration of all of the fivefold. And, and, and the fruit of that is that, that we move into an area where the saints are being used from God. That the saints, each and every single one of us, are, are, are actually hearing from the Lord. And we're actually distributing the things of the Lord everywhere that we go. Um, that we're not just, we're not, we're not a people that just go to a church. We're a people that are the church. Amen. And, and, and in gathering, it, it's something that we're called to do to build and, and, and to equip so that we can become the ministers that we're supposed to be able to be. And there's fellowship and there's friendship. But there's more than that. We're called to be the ecclesia. We're called to be the called out ones. And the called out ones, that's a, that's a word that Jesus gave us, that God gave us by his word. And that word means called out ones. It's your identity in Christ Jesus. It's his very DNA inside of you. That actually means that when you leave the church, you're more anointed than when you're in the church. Because Jesus said that's who you are. And a lot of times what we want to do is we want, we want to come and we want to have an atmosphere that's created. And the reality is the atmosphere of who God is inside of you. And I'm not against creating atmosphere. But what we have to understand is that it's not the atmosphere that we come into. It's the atmosphere that we release. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is inside of us. Amen. That means like when we show up, like, like we're supposed to have revelation when we show up that there's something to release. Like, but a lot of times what we have is we have a Christian group of people today that still seem to not know who they are even after being born again for 20 and 30 years. If you, if you don't know Jesus or you just got born again, you're supposed to. If you have kids that are young, you're supposed to be teaching people in terms of their identity. But at some point we have to get past the point of saying, you know what? It's just, it's Christ in me. 
At some point, we shouldn't have to convince ourselves that that's a true fact. At some point, we should have revelation of that. And we're not trying to get Christ in us anymore. We're trying to get Christ out of us. Amen? We're trying to release him to the world. That we're, that the same thing that we got, that we got delivered from or saved from now becomes the very thing in which there's an anointing on to release and to give, right? That, you know, first we get in the river and then we become the river and then the river flows out of us. Amen? You know, first we receive receive light, then we become the light, right? We're not supposed to be a people that just stay in a place where, where we don't know who we are. I mean, the Bible says that we, we die to our own nature, right? Romans chapter 6 says, it says, we were crucified with Christ on the cross. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives inside of me. And here we are, we're living in this time today where there's a seducing spirit that would try to get even Christian people trying to wonder who they are. With all the gender confusion and with all of the the different issues that people are saying that they're having within our culture, which is really an absence of really having identity that comes from the Father's heart in the first place. And Christians that have been born out of this orphan spirit because we've had illegitimate fathers and mothers that have been about themselves rather than about their children have created this orphan spirit in children where they've listened to the voices of others. And those voices of others have actually created an insecurity security inside of them that doesn't allow them to know who they are rather than listening to the voice of God to the point that others have been able to abort the very thing that they were called to do because they believe the wrong voice see the reality is that when we come to Christ Jesus it wasn't just that we actually like like got Jesus to come and be a part of our life and that we just believed in him it actually meant that we died and it was no longer us that live our old identity is gone the Bible says that we're new, we're new creations in Him. That we buried an old nature and we were resurrected in a new nature and that new nature is Christ Jesus. And anybody that tries to tell you something different or believe something different isn't necessarily believing in what Christianity is. It may be some kind of form of religion, but it has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is not that God came and he actually put a paint job on you, tried to make you look better and put on a better image so that you could perform better and people thought you looked better. No, it was that you died and you were made brand new. He made everything brand new. He gave you a new heart. He gave you an identity. He gave you a new mind. And now there is a new thing that is coming and flowing through you. And it's life. And it gives life. And the enemy wants to try to get people in this place of a state of confusion. Always questioning who they are. Why? Because you'll never give life. If you think it's you and you don't know it's Jesus, you're not going to give life. Jesus said this in, in John 8. I usually tell you a lot more stories, but anyway. John 8, um, Jesus comes and he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And, and he wasn't talking about, he wasn't talking about this, this natural thing that we live in, in terms of where it seems like. The culture that we live in, that we, we look with, a, with eyes that, that seem to be the things that define us. Remember, the Lord spoke to me, not recently, he said, do not allow people, do not allow circumstances and situations to define you in this season. I believe that's not only for me, I believe that's for the church. Because everything is trying to define us. As a matter of fact, my, um, my wife, right before Christmas last year, she got shingles in her right eye. And it actually caused her to go blind. And so she's in the hospital and um, at one point because it just kept getting worse. And she ends up on an IV um, that the, with the antibiotics trying to get rid of the – she goes right there. Her eyes swollen all the way closed. And then she goes blinded because of some of the sores, I guess, that had developed on her cornea and, um, and, and such. And so um, we're in the hospital and I'm waiting. And then the doctor comes in and they did some MRIs and things and they come in. Um, and do that. Um, I decided I'm going to go get like um, something to eat um, in, in between while we're waiting for the x-rays to come back. And unfortunately, I was gone still when they came back. They got the x-rays back um, right away. And the doctor comes back and says, you know what? Um, we actually found a tumor on your brain. 
And, and so, you know, I come back and my wife's upset, obviously, because she got this bad news. And, and I'm, I'm talking to her and I'm thinking like, what? This is crazy. I mean, we just came in here with, you know, um, and, you know, first of all, it's the week before Christmas. She gets the shingles in her right eye. And then, and then, um, and then we find out she, they, they tell us that she has a tumor. And I'm thinking, this is not right. And I, so I have to excuse myself for a moment because I like, I got to gather myself for a second because I need to be able to be a support to my wife and not be, not feel negative, you know, at this particular point. And so I excuse myself and I'm like, I'm going to go use the restroom. And as I get ready to go, I hear the Lord speak to me. This is not at all as it appears. It is not like the doctor says that it is. And, and so uh, so I, I come back in after a few moments and I tell my wife, I believe that the Lord has spoke to me. And so this is not going to be like you think that it is. And so um, we had to wait like till uh, I think it was a month or six weeks later. I, we had an appointment to go see a, a neurologist that was supposed to kind of read the MRI results. And we come in and the doctor said, well, what can I do for you? And to be honest with you, I was frustrated with him. I was really frustrated like in my, I didn't say it outwardly, but inwardly I was really feeling frustrated. Because I'm like, what do you mean what can you do for us? I mean, my they told me my wife has a tumor in her head. You know, we're not just here to like, you know, have tea or whatever and chat. You know, I'm here to find out what's going on. And and so he says, "What can I do for you?" And I said, so I calmly, I calmly composed myself and said, "Well, I guess we were kind of wondering about this tumor that they told us about." You know. And so the doctor, so the doctor said, oh yeah, about that. You know, so he, I guess he was playing with us a little bit maybe, but, um, so, um, he says, yeah, the, the, the emergency doctor should have never ever told you that. He says, there is nothing there that we can see that is anything that resembles a tumor. He says that the only thing that we can see is that there might be some kind of a gray matter, which is normal to have a little bit of that in your brain and stuff like that. He says, so if you would like, and it made you feel more comfortable, we can watch this and, and, and stuff and make sure it doesn't become something. But I wouldn't worry about, I wouldn't worry about this. There's nothing to worry about there. And so then not only that, but my wife, um, we had people praying all over the nation and stuff for her and, and her eyesight, um, she would testify to Today, um, I was just talking to her about a couple weeks ago, is better than it was before. She was declared legally blind, and God totally healed her eyes. Amen? See, but the enemy tries to trick us. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 talks about. You know, people don't like to talk about spiritual warfare anymore. And to be honest with you, I don't like to talk about spiritual warfare. I don't like spiritual warfare. But the reality is when that happened to my wife, there was some spiritual warfare that was going on, whether I liked it or not. You know, I'm kind of like uh, um, Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, and um, Well, I'm not trying to compare myself to him, but I'm kind of like him in terms of like, you know, uh, um, he would wake up in the middle of the night and he would um, he would light a candle or, 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 or whatever. And he'd say, oh, it's just you, Satan. And then he would go back to sleep. You know, that's kind of my idea of good spiritual warfare, amen? Matter of fact, I think if you're in spiritual warfare all the time, something's not right, amen? You should be, you should be focusing more on the will of the Lord because the will of the Lord is the bondage breaker, amen? Like sometimes I'll be in a service, I'll just start whistling, and part of the reason why I whistle is because when I feel like the will of the Lord is being declared, I believe there's, there's the will of the Lord sometimes manifests in his whistle, amen? That there's like, like the, the will of the Lord is the bondage breaker, and things begin to break, and things begin to change. All if you just get the word of the Lord, amen, the revelation of the Lord. What happens a lot of times, the enemy tries to trick us, and that word there, like it's trickery. That's what it means there, the, the schemes of the enemy is what it talks about. And it's talking about literally like, you know, where we get caught up in circumstances and situations and things that people say about us, so that we get so focused on the appearance that we can't believe what God is doing anymore. And he tries to bring us into that kind of a place. So here God's doing epic kind of a things, but we're still living in this thing where we think it's going on appearance rather than living, the, living according to what God's saying. And Jesus comes to the Pharisees. He comes to the religious people here in John eight thirty two, and he says this, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And the word truth, it actually here, it is the word verity that actually means reality. And Jesus, so Jesus was not saying like the Bible's going to set you free. That's not what he was saying. Matter of fact, Jesus says in John, he says, you can search the scriptures and you still don't know me. Because he's talking about the scriptures themselves testify not only about just knowing the scriptures, but knowing the God of the scriptures. And so Jesus says to him, he says, and you shall know the truth. And when he says that, he's saying, you know what? He says, I am another reality. And not only is he saying, I am another reality, he's saying, I am from another reality. 
See, this was the good news. Jesus came to preach the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Matter of fact, oftentimes today, we preach things like this, like go to church and we preach Jesus. But we don't preach his message. And the message was the kingdom of God. And the message was there was a reality, another reality that had authority over this reality. As a matter of fact, you know, faith, faith is not to deny the existence of something. It's to deny, it's to deny its influence. Oftentimes people will, like they, they're, they, you know, it used to be in the faith movement, people would say, well, don't say if you're sick. Why? Because they, they thought you were giving authority to something by, by saying that you're sick and it put people in bondage. It put people in bondage because the reality is sometimes they were sick and the issue was not about whether they were sick, it was about whether they could be made well. And the Bible speaks about this thing called the, the, there is a name that is above every name. And sometimes it actually is an acknowledging the name that causes the name to have to submit, where instead of it isolating or hiding or trying to trick us in a way now that, it, it, that we can't actually make it submit because we're trying to pretend like that reality is not true. See, Bill Johnson actually, he actually speaks about a similar concept in terms of the kingdom of God, in terms of the superior reality of God. And he talks about the superior reality that has authority over the inferior reality. And the issue isn't about whether we believe it is reality or not. It's about which reality will we believe in. Oftentimes you hear even Christian people, well, I don't know if that's reality. Well, it may not be the reality that we're living in, but the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God is that his reality has the ability to shift and to change our reality. That's, that's why we have statements that can be made, like in Romans, stuff like that, that God, that God would cause things that are not to become as they are. That they actually begin to exist, that what is not existing begins to exist. And you know, let the word believe, you know, even in the, even in the um, new covenant, it doesn't mean to believe just in the existence of something. It actually means to be thoroughly convinced. That you become thoroughly convinced of another reality. And that other reality now becomes that, that, that ability for you to see and to hear of that reality, to bring that reality into this reality. You know, my father-in-law, he just had a heart attack um, two times um, la- this last spring. I think it was March, and, 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 and I think it might have been like uh, February or, or, or just like end of January, something like that. And um, they told him on the second one, we didn't, um, I was actually preaching in Oklahoma City. And I was there for the whole week. And I preached, like, I think already like six times that week. And my wife gives me a call. And she's upset because they were going to life flight him from our city to Billings, uh, Montana. I live in Bozeman. And that's like two hours away. We don't have cardiologists and stuff in our city that can do um, heart operations and stuff. So um, they were life flighting by helicopter there, and they, they didn't think he was going to make it, and they declared that one-third of his heart had died. It was just dead. And so um, they take him to the hospital. They have to wait another night. But I fly home because, I, I, you know, sometimes you, I'm gone so much. I did like 144 meetings last year. So, um, you know, sometimes when there's an emergency, it's a good thing to go home and support your wife and family. Amen. When those things happen and, and sometimes it's okay to cancel a meeting if you need to do that, uh, to be there. Anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, for you guys, <laughs> just for me, huh? Preaching to myself now. So, um, so, so they, they take him into surgery or whatever, and they didn't expect him to make it. Um, they declared one third of his heart was dead. And we had people praying again all over the nation with us, and we're standing there praying. And people were beginning to declare, you know, um, by revelation that, that, that that heart was going to come back to life just like Jesus came back um, um, from the dead. And they opened him up. When they opened him up, the anesthesiologist afterwards said that they came out. When he came out to talk to my wife, he said um, that he said literally when we opened up his heart, most of the heart tissue that was there that we could see was gray. It was dead. And he said, like, literally as we were operating, we began to watch that gray tissue turn pink. 
And he said, he said, we had never, he said, he said, I have never seen that in, in all the time that I've been there. And my wife, you know, like even like I remember she was sitting there, you know, and it's really easy to get intimidated. You know, this is just, I'm talking to you like just real life stuff here. You know, you're like, we're, we're, we're she's in the hospital and she's got family and I, I stay with the kids, you know, so my wife can be there with her family. And so it's real easy. Like when you're, when your family's there, you know, my, my father-in-law was on the heart monitor and stuff like that. And, and the fib, the fib stuff, you know, was kind of going out of control where the heart would start racing and things like that and the monitor would show that and you know it's real easy when you're with your all your family and stuff like that you know you're you can get intimidated a little bit like because she's younger than maybe some of the aunts and the uncles and brothers and sisters all that kind of stuff and and, and not really want to take a big stand for jesus and maybe just want to whisper something under your breath or something like that but something rose up inside of her she said this is just is not who i am i'm just going to be who i am and she started speaking to that machine and speaking to that heart and those things would like come into alignment right there and we became a huge testimony you know, even unto her family at that particular moment. Amen. And so, you know, we, we have to be a people that learn to respond to a different reality. Amen. See, you know, Jesus was saying this to the, to the, to the religious people, you know, and they, and this is their response. This is the Pharisees response at this point. They say, they say, we, what are you talking about? 833, you can read yourself. I'm kind of, I'm kind of paraphrasing. What are you talking about? We've never been in bondage to anybody. How can you say we're in bondage? <laughs> they, they say, don't you know who we are? We go to church. We, we're Abrams. We're Abraham's like children. We're his inheritance. How can you say we're in bondage? They're, they are upset that Jesus would suggest this. And Jesus was saying, well, the reason why you're in bondage is because you live by what you see. And because you live by what you see, you're not getting to experience any of the things that my father actually has for you. This is what Paul called like the carnal Christianity kind of a thing. See, the good news of the gospel. See, Jesus was trying to tell him the good news. The good news is I came. But sometimes we're like, we want to be in control. We want to feel in control. And so, like... This threat their control because they thought they had it all figured out. And, and he's, and he's challenging them to say, you know what? There's good news. The good news is this reality does not have to be your reality. The good news is this reality does not have to be the reality of all of those that are around you in terms of your family and your friend and your community. And I'm trying to show you that there's something, something else. But instead, you would rather live in deception because you would rather appear that everything is put together and you would rather appear that you're living exactly the way that, that, that you think you're supposed to be living rather than realizing that I actually have more for you. I was in a pace in Arizona and I had a word of knowledge for a guy um, and, and he, um, for cancer, and he had just been diagnosed with cancer. Um, and, and so, um, he came forward, we, we prayed for him, and it found out, um, as he came forward and responded that he had just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And, and, um, they said he was like a stage four pancreatic cancer. And now, now, here's the thing, I prayed for people that have cancer and seen them get healed, and I prayed for people that have cancer and ha- have not seen them get healed. And the main difference that I know of is when God speaks. And so although God wants to heal all, I believe that sometimes we see in part. And sometimes we, we don't have, the re, have revelation of certain kinds of things, but we pray out of compassion. And then other times, God just heals people out of compassion too. So we don't want to get into unbelief either, like that God won't do it. But what we do know is that when God speaks, it changes everything. Everything shifts in the middle of that. And so this man, he responds. And so we pray with him. We, I, get, I have the church come and gather. 
around him at this particular time, and, and, and I, I feel heat as I'm praying for him. And afterwards, I felt, I felt this heat go all through me, and I felt this electricity um, come through my body. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, that's cool. So then at the end of the, end, end of the meeting, I, you know, I didn't, you, know you, don't, you don't know really just because you, you felt something in, in the meeting. That, that didn't mean that there was, a, you know, the, there was any confirmation of the healing at that point other than he felt something. So, you know, after the meeting, um, I'm given an altar call, and he gives his life to Christ. I didn't even know he wasn't saved. Then it, so then he gets saved. His whole family had been there. And then um, not, only, not only did he get saved, but the next day his wife, his, there's a newsletter on the table too if you're interested in that. So that kind of tells the story a little bit too. But um, the, the, his wife writes to us by email and says, we were at the hospital today and we had a blood test. Because she was asking us to continue to pray. And they did a blood test to test the cancer. And the cancer, she said, none, none of the blood tests revealed that there was any cancer in his organs, any of his major organs, or in his liver, which is where most of your blood flows, right? And, and so, um, if not all, amen. <laughs> and, and, and so they said this is a major miracle for our whole family, amen. And so, you know, God is a good God. He is a God of another reality. Amen. He is a God that wants to bring that reality into this reality. Amen. You know, like in Daniel 7.25, it talks about this antichrist kind of a spirit. You know, the spirit of religion, which is, I believe is the worst kind of spirit. And I believe that the spirit of religion, it's really like, it's really the same spirit that operates in the world. That we try to do it all by our own flesh. We try to do it all by our own ability. And, and it talks about their that 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 the the persecution of the saints and the persecution of the saints that's that's us he's talking about it does, you know the persecution isn't like chopping off your head or or persecuting that way it, you know even though we're seeing some of that in our world this persecution the word actually means to wear out that the enemies come to wear out the saints and he wears us out by trying to get us to operate on our own effort. And although we've been delivered from having to do it by our own effort, but to do it by the Spirit of God that comes by revelation. Amen? And so it talks about wearing out the saints here. But it goes on and it talks about here changing the times and the law. Amen? And see, like, like you know, when we try to control things, you know, and we try to manipulate things in order to do things a certain way, what we really are doing is we're operating out of a spirit of witchcraft. And oftentimes, even in church and stuff that we begin to control things we begin to try to manipulate things and then we have illegitimate kind of models for us and then we begin to function out of the same thing that we we did we start to control things and we don't learn to walk out of a freedom and we don't learn to trust another reality because we're trusting in our reality and jesus came to set us free from this reality he came to set us free from the restrictions of this reality in terms of our health and, and, and sickness and in terms of sin and, 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 and in terms of poverty and almost every single alien thing that would try to bring people down. Jesus had an answer for it and it was called salvation. And salvation, salvation actually in the Greek, and you probably, many of you that have been around for, for a very long probably know it actually is the word sozo. And if you were to try to interpret that, you know, in terms of what things are really about there, the word sozo, it actually talks about, you know, a lot of times it'll say eternal life. Like, like, like when um, Jesus said, you know, things like weird things that didn't make sense to the disciples, like, you know, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're kind of like, what? You know, everybody goes away at that point. And then Jesus turns to all of his disciples and he said, well, are you guys going to leave me too? You know, and, and, and Peter's like, where else would we go? Your words are life. You have the words of eternal life. In other words, when you speak, it makes things come alive inside of me. Amen. He had the words of salvation. And the word salvation, it wasn't just eternal life, like in terms of like you go to heaven forever kind of a thing. It was also, that was one aspect of it. You know, the other aspects were, you know, that you were already healed. Um, the other aspects were like you were already made successful, that you were already given provision, that these were all past tense things that you were given in salvation in Christ Jesus. And there, it's all of the inheritance that you were given in Christ Jesus to be able to see manifested by the revelation of God. And so and so literally like what Jesus is saying there, like, if, and I know this isn't mathematically necessarily correct, but you know, get the concept. Like, if you were to break it down in terms of saying there's five different components to the inheritance of what salvation actually means, eternal life would be one of those in terms of going to heaven. 
And the whole church today tries to focus just on going to heaven. And the point, the point is that you could say that almost 80% of the message of Jesus Christ wasn't just a future gospel that you would die someday and go to heaven. It was that you were supposed to be able to experience the kingdom of God now. See, what I wonder is, like, why would anybody trust that someday I would, could die and go to heaven if they haven't experienced any of it today? If it's not a now gospel. I mean, Jesus would preach things like, you know what? If you don't believe me, at least believe on the miracles. And if there's nothing that you're seeing, then just don't believe my message at all. What would happen, like, if the church began to operate that way? It's that wasn't just a good theology. It was a reality of the kingdom of God. And so there, he's trying to wear out the saints, trying to get us to operate in our reality rather than his reality. And it says they're changing the times and changing the laws. Changes the word times, it actually is like a word that means like a roll back, to try to get you to roll back and operate in a time in the past like it's a fresh thing. In other words, when you come into church or you come into the presence of God, you expect God to show up the same way that he did yesterday or the same way last week. And it's, you kind of get this been there, done that kind of an attitude. Not expecting anything new in terms of the kingdom of God to show up or any new realities to begin to emerge. You know, Walmart kind of has a ball that shows like the rollback, you know, where it bounces around on items and it gives a price of another day. That's what it's kind of talking about. Inoculation, like, gives you like a shot that puts the disease in your body so the next time that you get sick that the antibodies in your body will recognize that. It's the rollback, trying to get you to live in another time, trying to get you to live in another covenant when you were meant to live in a new covenant. And the new covenant reality was that you were now given access to another reality where there was not access that access had been given and it was the good news of the gospel instead we still live out of this place of separation even though we've been given something and instead of walking in authority we choose to allow ourselves to get worn out to the place that we make no difference to the place that we now become cynical because we become full of unbelief because we haven't believed and become thoroughly convinced And the word law, the word law there actually is the word that actually is the word that means information. And it comes from the word structure. And the word structure, like, like it wasn't meant to just be an outward structure. It was meant to be the people. The people were meant to be the structure. Everybody always talking about new wineskins. The new wineskins are not, are not something that we're trying to create in terms of a, an outward government. It is the people of God that are carrying the new wine, that release the new wine, that release the new reality of the kingdom of God. We're always looking for, it can be, it becomes an antichrist spirit of religion system that is, in, that keeps people in bondage rather than loosening them to experience the kingdom of God reality. The, the word comes from structure. It actually breaks down this way. It means, it means information that's a structure to form thoughts. What's that mean? Like, it establishes your thinking. The way you think about things. Patterns in your brain. Science would confirm that once you start to have a way of thinking, now there, there's like a hotline in your brain that constantly causes you to go back and to think the same things over and over again. And so they're finding out more and more in terms of trying to release people from those kinds of patterns that are in their brains. And not only thoughts, you know, but now speculations. Why? Because you've thought about things on your experiences and things that have happened in your life, and now you have speculations. You think because it happened this way before that it's now going to happen this way again. And see, the problem, one of the problems for us as a church today in the United States is that we've kind of come to a place where sometimes that God starts to do things, but we're still living in the past. And we're still thinking that we're just going through the motions of just doing life as usual and doing church as usual and relationship with God as usual. And yet we're in the midst of an epic move of God. And the danger is that those that have not learned to steward the Kronos in terms of the Kairos move of God in our lives, that we're not moving into the next age. We're staying in an age that has passed us by and it has nothing of a new reality and it's not good news. The laws, 
information, to form thoughts, speculations, and it's a stronghold. Now it becomes a stronghold. It becomes a way of life, difficult to break out of and to change, that we become cynical, that we start living out of the past, and we're no longer able to live into the new thing that God has for us. In Genesis 15, it talks about a guy named Abram. And the Bible says, and the word of the Lord came to him. And he says to him um, that he's going to give him a child. But Abram, like, he's like, he's like mocking God. He's like, what? Look at my circumstances. Look, I got no land. I, I got no child. I, I was promised a child before, and I still got no child. I'm living in a tent. I'm out in the middle of the desert. I've got enemies all around me. Scholars say like he was like he was disappointed and he was discouraged. Like he he just had a close call. Like like he almost got killed. More than that, he thought all of the enemies that he had defeated were going to come back and try to destroy him. He 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 was. He, he had not taken any spoils in terms of, like, provision and stuff. He was believing God. And now none of these things had really come to pass. Now he had no land. That was probably the biggest issue, though. He had no land that he, that he didn't have to defend um, off enemies from anymore. And, and, and so the inheritance was there, and he had no child. So God's promised him a child that he can leave an inheritance to. And he's like, what's the point? All I have is this guy, Eliezer. He's like a servant. And so he's kind of like mocking God and saying, you know what, whatever, you know, you can speak to me all you want to. This is my circumstances. And then God comes and he says again, three verses later or two verses later, he says, and the word of the Lord came. It's speaking to God, God speaking to him directly. Like there weren't even scriptures then. It was God speaking to him. And so God speaks to him. And and now something softens, something begins to change. And God says, you know what? I got to get you to come outside the tent. I, I got to get you out of here. Why? Because Abram had lived in a place where, like, he'd been in the tent so long that he knew every cobweb. And he'd been looking at the wrong thing for too long. And so he says, I got to get you to come outside the tent. Abram had become paralyzed by what he saw. Just like we can become paralyzed by what we see. Sometimes people leave us. They disappoint us. They hurt us. We drive up and down the same old streets and we see the same old things and we experience the same things with family members and church. And so after a while, we become paralyzed because we're living by what we see. But not only was Abram paralyzed by what he saw, he was paralyzed by what he did not see. All the creative aspects of what God wanted to do. I don't know about you, but sometimes when the enemy wears you out, I just had a season where I felt like that. I got around some people that were really visionary, and I didn't realize how much my visionary capacity had decreased. Why? Because sometimes you get running so hard and so fast that you're just trying to keep up from one thing to the next, and you're doing it in a place that you don't even know that you're doing it by your own strength. It's subtle. It's not on purpose. It's something that's a spirit that seduces and drags you in to do something that you didn't expect to be doing. And then pretty soon you're so focused on just making it from one to the other. You're no longer looking big. This is where Abram's at. You're no longer to see the bigger thing that God's trying to do with your life or trying to do in your city or trying to do in your church. You're just seeing the one little thing trying to make it from task to task. Abram's living out of this kind of a place. Not only is he paralyzed by what he sees, he's paralyzed by the things that he does not see. The things we don't see going on in the streets. Maybe we don't see happening in our church. Maybe we don't see happening in our family. Living from the wrong reality. Living from the reality 
an inferior reality rather than the superior reality of the kingdom of God. That we were born again and given a spirit which was a supernatural spirit with the DNA of God inside of us in order to be able to receive and have the capacity to receive revelation, to begin to speak into our soul, into our mind, and into our will, and into our emotions so that we could release it through our flesh so we could see his reality in our reality, so we could experience the good news of the kingdom. And God says, i got to get you to come outside. And if I can get you to come outside, I can get your eyes off of what you've been focusing on. And I can get your eyes onto this, onto something else. He said, I gotta get you to come outside and look at the stars. And he says, if I get you to look at the stars, I can start to get you to imagine again. I can get you to dream again. And it's kind of like God is saying, you know what? I gotta get you, Abram. I gotta get you out of your memories. I gotta get you out of your past. I've gotta get you out of your disappointment. I've gotta get you out of your discouragement. I gotta get you out of just seeing what this reality is and recognizing that I have something more, that I'm a good God and I have promises and I have promises that I want to release to you and to your generation, to your city, to your church, to your children. I gotta deliver you from your memories. So they say the they say the sin of of youth, and I wasn't trying to point at you guys, but uh, um, the sin of youth is lust. They say, but the sin of middle age is cynicism, because we think, well, we've been disappointed. We we tried to believe for these things before, and we didn't see them. I know people that have prayed for two hundred people to have a deaf ear healed, and I was the two hundredth time before they ever saw one healed. Most of us would probably be like, well, I tried three times. Well, that's probably even being optimistic. And then give up. Because we start to, we start to have thoughts. Well, it didn't work last time. What means it'll work this time? (laughs) Then, then we, so we speculate. We speculate the outcome without even asking God what his, Outcome might be. Then it becomes a stronghold. I don't pray for anybody that's sick. It's not my gifting. I thought you had all of Jesus in you. Maybe it's his gifting. Amen? It's just like God said, I'm going to get you out of memory, and I'm going to get you into imagination. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, he prays for the saints and he's praying for the church. He says, open the eyes of their heart. The word heart there, sometimes translated in a lot of the Bibles as understanding as well. It actually is best translated as the word imagination. And Paul says, I'm praying that God would open up the eyes of your imagination. That you have a creative God and you were not meant to live in a place where you're just living by what is. You are supposed to be living about what could be. And you're supposed to be the very solution to that. Amen. Matter of fact, when Jesus prays, your kingdom, when he tells us to pray, he says, pray to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The word pray doesn't just mean to go into some place of isolation. It actually means that you would pray, one, that God would change your heart. That your heart would become his heart. And not only that your heart would become his heart, but the other aspect of the word pray meant that you would become a solution for the very things that you were praying for. When God says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is not saying, pray that God would just do it in the earth and you would sit back and watch. He's saying, you are the solution. Some people are talking about, well, just whatever is the sovereign plan of God. The sovereign plan of God is you. It's at least one big part of the sovereign plan of God. I'm picking on one particular point. But in terms of bringing heaven to earth, you were designed for it. 
You weren't made for it. That's why you were given a spirit. So now you can think the thoughts of God, that that revelation would get into your soul, into your mind. You can have the heart of God. You can feel his heart. And now your will, because you're thoroughly convinced of his reality, you're no longer hesitating by what you think you can do. You know the reality of the one who lives inside of you, and he can do, because he's been resurrected, what you could not do. So he says, if I could get you, if I could get you out of the tent, Abram, I could change your whole nature. That's what, you know, at this particular junction, this is where Abram's name goes from being Abram to Abraham. And it was always synonymous that the name was a part of the character of who the individual was. And it says, if I can get you outside the tent, I can change your nature. I can change the identity of who you are. I can begin to get you out of doubt and unbelief. I can get you out of an old nature, and I can get you into a new nature. That's why when Abraham, his name is recorded as a man of faith. He's not considered a man of doubt. Why? Because Abram was a man of doubt. Abram was a man of doubt and unbelief. Abram was a man that did not believe in the reality of the kingdom. He believed in the reality of what he lived in. Then he became Abraham, and now he was delivered from the authority of the reality they lived in. And he began to live from another reality. And that other reality was, was a place that was based on faith. As I was speaking earlier, faith does not deny the existence of something. It denies his influence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray, huh? I feel like I should stop there. Thank you, Jesus. Hopefully you got something out of that. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you glory. There's none like you, Jesus. (laughs) We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. You're so good. You're so good to us. Lord, you have something bigger, more epic in this season, Lord God, for each and every single one. And sometimes we can't see it coming, Lord God. Sometimes we see it after it happens. But Lord, you've you've provoked us to a place, Lord God, to say that there's more. That there's something better that you want to do, not just for us, but for our city, for our families and all those around us. And so I'm asking you, Jesus, I'm asking you, Jesus, to begin to activate the ability to receive from another reality with more clarity. But there's, there's an upgrade that you want to give us, an upgrade to be able to, to see, an upgrade to be able to hear. But we're asking for an upgrade this morning. We're asking for those ears to hear and those eyes to see. Not just for our generals or not just for speakers or fivefold, but for each and every single one of us, Lord God. That wherever we go, that the new reality of your kingdom would be released. I'm going to pause for a moment. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, you may be here this morning and you say, you know what? I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never heard the gospel message in the way that it was preached this morning. You're not, you're not sure if you're right with God. Maybe you prayed a prayer once. Maybe you've never even heard or known Jesus or ever prayed to receive Jesus. Maybe you thought that you had to be perfect before God would receive you rather than just receiving his son and allowing him to make you perfect. Whatever the, whatever the thing is, God wants you to know this just as I was speaking. Jesus said in another place that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, the only way to God is by another reality, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus becomes the one that gives you a new reality and begins to open up the ability to see another reality. Jesus didn't come just to fix you up on the outside, try to make you look better, try to make you look like you got it all together and put on a religious face and do all the religious right things. He came to make you brand new from the inside. And the Bible says 
in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning that none of us are perfect. That's why we needed Jesus. He's the one that makes us perfect in the sight of God. That we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. His blood washes over all of our sins. There's nothing that we can do to make the Father like us anymore. He already likes us. He already loves us. The only way that we honor God isn't by what we do. It's by our ability to receive Him. And when we receive Him, He gives us the ability to do what we could never do before. So if you're here this morning and you say yes to Jesus, you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want to know this Jesus and I want to live from another reality. And I want to see that new reality manifest in my life. I want to see it actually happen. I want to touch it. I want to feel it. I want to see it. If you say that's me, I want you to slip up your hand right where you are and say, yes, I want you to pray for me. If that's you, just put your hand right up in the air and we're going to pray for you. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else this morning? Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? If you'd say, yes, I want to receive the new reality of Jesus Christ this morning. Thank you, Jesus. So if you lifted your hand, I want to ask you to come and stand right here with me. I want to congratulate you and I want to pray with you right now. So ma'am, would you come? Would you come? And ma'am, would you come in the back? Would you come? Thank you, Jesus. As they're coming, would you stand to your feet with me and we'll pray in just a moment for others because I know that there's times that people have to go and so that they can come or go if they need or um, however Pastor would say here in just a moment. I'll give it back to him um, and I'll let him um, do what he needs to do and then we'll pray for um, everybody that needs prayer. Amen? Where the other, the other gal was coming, where'd she go? There she is. <laughs> I, th- I thought you disappeared. I thought you snuck away to the bathroom. Thank you, Jesus. What's your name? Chiquita, nice to meet you. That's funny. They were just talking about um, the Chiquita banana the other day, huh? Uh, which, Carol, nice to meet you guys. Amen. Would you guys extend your hands toward these that are standing here? I want to pray a blessing on them, and then I want to have them pray with me. And could you give them a big hand for coming? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So right now, Lord, Lord, I pray right now, Lord God, for these two mighty women of God right here. I'm asking, Lord Jesus, that you would touch them in a brand new way this morning. Lord God, whether it's a first time or a rededication to you, Lord God, we're asking, Lord God, that today that they would never be the same. That you would cause, Lord God, of the weariness to go in the name of Jesus and for there to be new life, Lord God, new excitement, new energy. And so in the name of Jesus, bless them, Lord God, with the ability to see and the ability to hear. So now I'm going to ask you just to pray with me. Jesus, I'm asking you right now. I'm asking you right now. (laughs) They come come into my heart. They come into my life. And to forgive me of all my sins. Lord, I'm asking you to make me new. Today I've decided to die. There's no longer I that live. But it's Christ that lives inside of me. So Jesus, you... (laughs) Sorry. Jesus, I am who you say I am. And I can do what you say I can do. I am not the same person. I have been made brand new. Now help me, Jesus, to preach the good news of your gospel. The reality of your kingdom as you would begin to activate my eyes to see and my ears to hear what it is that you're doing and what it is that you're saying that others would be set free use my life in Jesus name thank you Jesus Lord we pray right now for Chiquita Lord God we thank you for her and for this mighty woman of God You've kind of come to a, a place, uh, Chiquita, where you need some some new opportunities and some new things to open up for you. And although you have always been one that has been full of joy, and others have come to you that on the inside sometimes that you haven't always felt as joyful, but you've brought joy to others. 
And I see the Lord saying that there's this ability in you to gather people. You have a gathering kind of anointing um, where people are attracted to you and you're able to bring people together and then connect people together. But there's also this strong creativity and entrepreneurial thing about you. And I see I see God raising you up in a place of influence. And I don't like to use the word leader. I like I like the idea of a mother and a father. But there are strong leadership abilities about you. And I see you not only doing it, but I see you reproducing it, where you begin to speak into the lives of others and cause them to believe they can do more. And as a matter of fact, I see you as one that will be speaking and beginning to, um, like even holding conferences um, where you would speak to those in the business realm and you would use that to influence even in terms of the kingdom. But there's a strong um, there's a strong ability for you to evangelize, to be able to um, to connect with people. You have a, a great ability to connect with people and uh, um, and encourage and to speak life into them. And the Lord's going to begin to use you as an evangelist, even over over creative ideas and new ideas. And so, but the Lord says that you need to believe in yourself a lot more. That you're not limited the way that you think you're limited. As a matter of fact, the Lord wants to break you out of what the generation before you has done. And that you've seen yourself only be able to go to a certain place. And people have spoken things over you in a way that would say, you know what, you're limited. And you're only going to be able to go this far. You just need to settle for this. You need to settle for that. Because that's 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 what um, every all of us have had to do. And they try to speak that over you. And so I break that off right now in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I see divine appointments and divine connections that would allow you to, to one, to be educated and to begin to be trained in a way that would exceed all that's gone before you and begin to open up new opportunities. Glory. Glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord says, quit beating yourself up. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Right, right before he prays for uh, Carol, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to... Am I on back here? You got me. Um, Daryl, uh, one of the ushers, is going to be right at the back door. And if uh, I don't want to break this, but we do want to honor him, Dennis, by giving him an offering as he travels to the next city and hopefully gets back to his family in Montana someday. <laughs> um, so you can make out a check or cash. You can make out a check to the Gathering Place Church. And everything you put in that basket will cut a check to Revival Pride Ministries. If you have children, you've got to get back to the children's ministry or they're going to string me up. And I don't want to be strung up. <laughs> you can go get your kids and then come back in here and Dennis will still be praying for people until about midnight. All right. You've got plenty of time. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, uh, and i got some great stories to share with you next week about my trip to Mexico. I'll be preaching next week. And then we will have uh, our missionary from Brazil the following week. So, so you got kids, you got to go get them. Give an offering on your way out. You can come back in and give an offering. Daryl's going to stand there and receive the offering. And uh, let's just continue to worship. And if you're here for the first time, welcome to Gathering Place Church. Uh, hang out in fellowship. We'll see you uh, next Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. What was your name again, man? Carol. Lord, I thank you for Carol. This is extended to Anne's turn.